I'm sorry that I missed your party. I wish I had a better excuse, but I can't even lie, you got me. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys, boys. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. Okay, okay, okay. Hi, welcome to the lowest rated, least listened to episode of I vs. the Big Boys to ever uh, exist on your podcast feed. My name's Kevin Cookman. And uh, Aya's not here. I don't know where she is. Have you seen Aya Lehman? Have I seen Aya Lehman? Was Aya Lehman ever real? That's actually an interesting question. Anyway, uh, she was having like a, like a software update. And somewhere midway, the firmware just fucking crashed. And now her CPU is fried. And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let her do her thing. And instead, I'm going to fill our episodes. Uh, the tricky thing with this podcast is that if I have to drop out of an episode, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> no, in, in fact, it's encouraged. <laughs> but if I have to drop out of an episode, feasibly, Aya could find a replacement pretty quickly. You can just find anyone she wants. The problem. When the person whose name is in the title of the podcast, when they are unavailable, it does create a, an interesting conundrum where I, I can't really replace uh, the AYA of Aya versus the big boys. So here we are, uh, me doing my Rathaniel. Uh, I'm not coming out of the closet, so that's probably not a good ex- expectation to put on you listening that was an interesting special that's the kind of special where you really have to like put everything out on the line and and say very declaratively everything i make after this is not going to hold up to what i just made (laughs) when you pull the the oh i'm talking to the audience and this is a therapy session card in your stand-up career i'm not sure that you can keep pulling that card or if any card pulled afterwards will be able to not be overshadowed by the first card that you pulled. Nice special, though. Just, uh, that is a, a challenging plateau to put yourself on. Did I say my name is Kevin Cookman yet? Hi, my name is Kevin Cookman, and today is April 18th, 2022, and I have turned 26 years old. And I, and I emphasize old. It's important to realize, for me, that when we were going into COVID, when we started sheltering in place, I was 23 years old. <laughs> From the span of, of, I feel like this is pertinent because this is a, a COVID podcast. The intro every week, of course, reminds you, hey, you know COVID's happening? <laughs> Uh, but of course we beat it. It's done. It's over. COVID's done. I was 23 years old when I got let go from my job that I had worked a year to get. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I went into this 
this bullshit world in my early 20s and here I am on the tail end of the bullshit world uh now entering my late 20s which is now I know why Aya uh, has felt the way she's felt since we started this podcast. <laughs> uh, I understand where her head was when we first started now. <laughs> she was even older than me when we started, I think. She was 39. Anyways, so basically right now what I'm doing is I'm broadcasting to our, our listener base that, that does not come for Aya, which is a weird, why are you doing that if you come to this podcast? There's also a weird way to say that, which is what I'm saying is that the interesting thing about our, our listener database is that all of Aya's friends were the ones who were really bumping up our numbers. And then when they started actually listening to the podcast and realizing that, oh shit, they're actually going to talk about movies and oh no, the boy in this duo is going to end up saying more than I expected. They all dropped off. I don't think a single one of Aya's friends actually listens to the podcast anymore. We made up those numbers and also like we, we grew well past those numbers. We made up for that in all of the letterboxed people that thirst followed me and Aya. I put me first because obviously I am the bodacious one in this equation. I am the one they come literally to. So thank you uh, for the, the film freaks out there and the weirdos who have made up for the loss of just blissfully ignorant normies who just treat movies completely unseriously and live a much happier life. Because of that. I feel that 26 is so much more severe for me. Possibly because I've seen so many fucking motion pictures. Which is... Uh, it's tough to really put into consideration my relationship with movies. In that, obviously, I have been influenced by them. Obviously, my social demeanor, my behaviors have been shaped by so much of the media I have seen. I mean, my fucking, the way I dress, the way that I eureka'd it, of like, oh, this is how I can style myself, finally, was I saw Jonah Hill in Superbad. And I was like, oh my God, I can wear a t-shirt with a shirt over it, and that will hide my fat rolls? This is it. The movies have saved my life. And when you are dealing with movies as your personal religion, I think my 26, I feel like I'm fucking 43. I feel like I've seen too much. I've, I've heard from too many perspectives. It's, it's like Superman getting all the voices in the head of people asking for help. And you know what? I'm on the Zack Snyder train, baby. You calling for help? Guess what? I don't listen. I'm evil Superman. I'm dark Superman. I'm British Superman, bitch. So that's how we're, I think that's what Aries season is telling me. And I think that's what 2022 is telling me is that maybe it's time to just go uh, British Superman mode. So we're going to try that out and uh, see how far that takes me because the last few years have uh, definitely 
they did their thing to me. So we're going to just, <laughs> why not? Let's try it out. You know, one of the most encouraging things I learned recently was that Johnny Knoxville uh, starred and started, starred in and started. I just, wow, that, the, the, that word combination wrecked my head for a moment. Starred in and started Jackass when he was 2930, which is insane because I know a ton of people that are like a year or two younger than me who are already complaining about their achy bones. I'm so old. Oh, my body. Maybe the fucking, maybe millennials and zoomers are pussies. Actually, I think the jackass crew is maybe a good justification for the fact that maybe the older generation was built harder than we are. (laughs) Anyways, it's nice that people that are 29 and 30, these fucking old ass geezers, they can still go on to do stupid shit that makes them a lot of money and then also makes their co-hosts and co-stars go uh, broke and uh, accrue multiple concussions for $300 a stunt. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be a Knoxville. I'm not trying to be a Steve-O. I'm trying to game capitalism. That's, <laughs> that is my intent here. Anyway, you're listening to I vs. The Big Boys. It's A24 Prill. I think I should get a Netflix special. I think I am proving to everyone right now that I am meant for this, I'm flying off the cuff. Um, A24 April will resume. I think we're going to combine some episodes. Here's the thing. The reason I'm also making this episode, and this is just a very, this is completely clerical and logistical, and this is me as the producing back end of the podcast known as I versus the big boys. If we skipped this week's episode, it throws off our episode count to what we have planned for the 100th episode. You feel me? You feel me? If we skipped this week's episode, what we have planned for the 100th episode, which is the dumbest shit we've maybe ever done on the podcast, like an actual brain rot marathon of movies, that becomes episode 99. And frankly, I cannot stand for that. When I scheduled and programmed what we have planned for our 100th episode, which is our 4th of July weekend episode, when I planned that, I knew there were the only way I'm going to get away with this, the only way I'm going to prove to Aya this is not a waste of her time, is that this is the 100th episode Super America 4th of July Spectacular. We have to do it. We have to go big. We have to go loud. We have to go into the Middle East and kill everybody <laughs> and have video games made after us. A hint for uh, what the movies are, not my personal foreign affair policies. Do you want to know my foreign affair policies? Would you like to? I, I'll, I mean, why not? Let's go into international relations, baby. I got no moderators. I got no co-host telling me what I can and can't say. I, I might say something freaky. I may... Oh, I might get myself canceled. Can you believe we're still doing the canceled bit? Like Bill Maher is like making millions of dollars, still complaining about the concept of cancellation. It's 2022. We're still doing this. I don't know whether to learn from him or to like, I don't know. Bill Maher, baby. Uh, 
ruining all of our parents. <laughs> Just, just, just say a Republican, all right? A lot of people just need to say they're Republican, and I think a lot of Republicans just need to say that they're Stalinists or they're Maoists. I think a lot of people just need someone to talk to, and maybe that's me in your podcast feed here as someone to talk to, uh, giving you some of my sweet birthday time. I know, it's really valuable. I, I'm clearly very busy today. I'm going tonight... To a, to a Kiari Pomu uh, Pomu show, which is maybe this is my announcement. Maybe this is my Rathaniel. Maybe this is my secret. I go on stage and I say, Well, I'm a weeb. My mom does not accept it. I, that's the weird thing also about making fun of Rathaniel. Is it like, is it a comedy special? Because <laughs> usually anything a comedian says is fair game to riff on. But when the lines are blurred in the uh, post, uh, what the fuck is that special? Nanette? In the post Nanette era, it's very, you know, the the ice is is, is thin. It's flimsy. It's cracked. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go ahead and and revoke me making fun of uh, Gerard Carmichael's. Uh, very emotional and meaningful coming out to uh, all the subscribers of HBO Max. I'm going to stop, okay? I'm going to stop. But I'm going to the Kiori Pomu Pomu show tonight, and I'm very excited. I watched the live stream on Coachella. Uh, it was like 12.30 a.m. I was in my home theater in my garage doing a little exercise, and all of a sudden, Kiori Pomu Pomu comes onto the stream. And brother, I got my shit absolutely wrecked in in the fucking in the live stream comment section i saw someone go she's at the fonda on monday you have to go and then at, so at, at 2 a.m i was like all right well i guess for my birthday night i'm going to the fonda and i'm going to go see kiari pomu pomu a person who i had not heard a single song from before this live stream and uh who i am now going to mosh and punch a couple uh south asian kids too <laughs> So I'm uh, really excited for what I've gifted myself. I'm excited for what I do to myself. You know, let's, fellas, fellas, let's celebrate fellas doing fellas. All right, let's celebrate that. Movies are interesting. Movies are, are, are dead, uh, but movies are unfortunately my only lifeblood. And so I will always continue, unfortunately, to the detriment of my health of my career ambitions and uh, my general uh, state of sanity, I will continue to uh, rep the good old cinema. And what I'm going to do for you, I think I've riffed enough, right? Is this fucking parasocial friend simulator? Did we reach the cap? Right? Did did this feel like you, you talked to a friend? Okay, I think we can zip it on that, put a little cap on that. Uh... I could go on for another hour, which is the worst part. I really could just keep blabbering on. And uh, that's the, the hubris of a man who, who thinks that maybe he can get into stand-up comedy. You know? That is the, that, this is the hubris of a man who thinks, oh, maybe in another world I could have what it takes to be an entertainer. What a fucking waste. Anyway, to rep movies and uh, to celebrate 26 years of, of being alive, I guess. 
Uh, firstly, you should do me the, the birthday present gift uh, galore special of suggesting someone uh, in your life listens to this podcast. Go recommend this podcast to someone. Do a little bit of that word of mouth action. You feel me? Leave a review on the Apple Podcasts page. Those always look really pretty, and we always like to read them back, me and I personally. And uh, it, I don't know, it's like a nice morale booster whenever you need it. Uh, on Spotify, they're now doing ratings. So if you want to go rate us on Spotify, that would also be terrific since it seems like Spotify is only going to heat up more and more as an avenue for these recordings of, of sociopaths trying to make a buck on Mac Weldon deals. Anyways, 26 years alive, 26 years of unfortunately loving movies, I'm going to recommend to you uh, 26 movies. 26 movies that are uh, terrific. What if there were 26 movies that were mid? Like, not even 26 bad movies, but just 26, eh, I could have not seen this. I could pull up that list. I have seen 26 met movies in this year alone, I would say. If, if I went to a Sundance, guaranteed I watched 26 movies that you never have to see. <laughs> uh, but anyway, these are 26 movies that I, I want to recommend to you because these aren't movies that often get recommended off hat. These are films that I really hope find a, a, a greater, bigger audience uh, as they kind of exist in our general ether. And I hope that maybe one of these titles can come into your life and give you a little, make you feel good, first off, but also make you feel like that you have also discovered something. Because I know that's the best feeling. It's, it's always a nice feeling to watch something that everyone loves and find out that you love it too. You know, that's always nice. It's the concept of our podcast. Oh my goodness. But there's also a distinct, like, umami type pleasure to finding something that you know, you know you will always have in your back pocket to give to someone else and make their day, which I believe these 26 titles can. I'm going to start off with the one that I just recommended to someone. Uh, to <laughs> I, I'm actually not going to say what I'm going to say. I recommended this film to a woman in hopes that I would Im- it, it would impress her. <laughs> but look, this is a really... It's okay. It's Ho House Yen's Millennium Mambo. It's all about uh, tw- mid twenties angst. I wonder why I watched this last night. Oh my god, why is it resonating with me so deeply right now? Uh, mid twenties angst at not knowing what you're going to do in your life, and it all centers on this one Taiwanese woman who is living with a, an abusive, emotionally abusive boyfriend, who also doesn't know what he's doing, and all she really knows is is to follow how she's feeling and to keep going off of that, even though. So many of the material factors in her life are, are crumbling down on her. And the big issue in that film being, well, when the world's crumbling around you and no one's telling you which parts are crumbling and why, what do you, you know, what the fuck do you expect me to do? Of course, I'm going to have like a drugged out meltdown in a club drinking like seven vodka sodas while house music is, obliterates my eardrums. What do you expect me to do? Relatable film, uh, and a movie that's good to send to a woman in Australia, maybe, if, 
to say, hey, I think you'd like this. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, Spike Lee's Mo Better Blues, uh, the underappreciated classic in his oeuvre. This was the do the right thing follow up that kind of floundered a comparison, but that was completely fine because I think two years later, he does Malcolm X and becomes the definitive uh, filmmaker of the 1990s. It's Spike Lee. If you've probably only seen three of his movies, uh, you probably have a Spike Lee blind spot. If Mo Better Blues is one of your Spike Lee blind spots, you need to owe it to yourself to watch a top five Spike Lee uh, immediately. Uh, next up, we have Jack Cardiff's Dark of the Sun. This is from 1968. This is a movie where the poster is insane. It's two soldiers fighting with chainsaws, huge explosion behind them. You have fucking Jim Brown, professional football player, in a key supporting role. It's one of those exploitation movies from the 60s that has such a good poster that there's no way the movie can live up to it. And somehow, this is the one. This is the one where the movie lives up to the insane fucking poster. And on top of it, you get a really uh, strident and aggressive colonialist critique. Uh, great shit. Uh, next up we have uh, Godzilla vs. Destroya from 1995. This is the finale of the Heisei era of the Godzilla films, my personal favorite era. This is when Godzilla looked a little bit leaner, a little meaner, a little bit more like an evil monster. Uh, This is the Godzilla run from the 90s that I grew up with, that I had videotapes of, that I was given DVD box sets of when I was like 10 years old, that I still have movies I need to watch from. Uh, My aunt gave it to me, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever received as a gift. Godzilla movies are the best things on planet Earth, and uh, this finale to what is presumably, at the time, it was supposed to be the finale to all Godzilla films, uh, is, is actually really moving. And like this interesting mix of, I mean, uh, you know, modern uh, comparison, let's go uh, Cloverfield and mm, Aliens. Really, really fun. Great shit. Uh, fifth movie I want to recommend to you is Juzo Itami's Supermarket Woman. You have probably seen or heard of Tom Popo. Uh, guess what? Uh, his other films are just as vibrant and just as cuddly. And of the ones I've seen, Supermarket Woman... Uh, which stars his wife and constant collaborator, Noboku Miyamoto, uh, is the, one of the best of the bunch, if not maybe even better than Tom Popo. Uh, this is delightful, delightful. Uh, speaking of delightful, uh, Richard Pryor, live in concert from 1979. This is the best concert movie of all time, maybe. I think, I mean, it's this Stop Making Sense and maybe that Beastie Boys concert movie that I think all tied for number one. Like, it is such an avant-garde performance that this transcends just a, a theatrical, uh, theatrically released stand-up special. This is truly a, one of the world's greatest entertainers, Richard Pryor, showing everyone not only what stand-up comedy is, but what communicating is, what public speaking is, what connecting to one person or a group of people is. And he's not even saying anything that profound. Like he's doing Doberman impressions. He's impersonating monkeys and bugs and bees. And it's just, it's classic slapstick. But the way that he commands this audience in Long Beach is, uh, is out of this world. And I, I've been in that theater before. I took a date there. It was our second date. She was my girlfriend in high school, not high school, in college. Uh, it felt like high school. <laughs> um, uh, and I took her, uh, we, I, I was so... 
I, I thought I was impressing her. I thought I got like this amazing deal. We went to a stand-up show at the same Long Beach Theater. We were third row for the comedian. And the comedian was Louis C.K. So, anyways, my seventh recommendation for you is The Swimmer from 1968, starring Burt Lancaster and directed by Frank Perry, but really directed by Sidney Pollack, a very young Sidney Pollack. I'm not a big fan of Sidney Pollack as a director, but I will keep watching his films, including me literally watching all three hours of Out of Africa, only because The Swimmer is so fucking good. If you're a fan of Mad Men, this is the blueprint. The eighth film I want to recommend to you, 1977's White Rock. This is directed by Tony Malum, who is just a... I mean, (laughs) I don't know what this guy's story is, but this is the same guy who four years later, he makes that slasher film uh, that the Weinsteins work on called The Burning. So he kind of just goes into making trash. But before he makes the trash, he ends up getting the deal to make the official film of the Olympics, of the Winter Olympics. And you basically just have James Coburn walking around and explaining how all of these winter sports are just blood sports and the most violent things in the world. And it's uh, part sort of like documentary, but mostly like an infomercial for, I I guess, being active. Uh, It's a bizarre, bizarre curio from the 70s. And it's shot like one of the best action movies you've ever seen. Great stuff. Ninth film I want to recommend to you, 1959's Suddenly Last Summer. This is a Joseph L. Mankiewicz motion picture, the man behind All About Eve, adapting some, uh, not Upton Sinclair, who is the guy? Tennessee Williams, of course, Tennessee Williams. Uh, This movie's fucked up. This movie's really fucked up. This movie's from 1959, and it's more fucked up than most neon films that come out now. Uh, Suddenly Last Summer, uh, Tennessee Williams was a very, very tortured man. And Joseph L. Mankiewicz is a man who just loved, loved to savor the torture of a script. Uh, an unhealthy combo that makes for a, what a splendid, heinous watch. Tenth movie I want to recommend to you is The Fifth Chord from 1971. This is a giallo directed by Luigi Bazzoni, but <laughs> the director of photography on this movie is Fotorio Storaro. The man who did Apocalypse Now, The Last Emperor, who reads The Conformist. Well, he did a giallo. (laughs) And uh, it looks as good as you're possibly imagining. Doesn't make any sense. Just like the rest of the gialli. But uh, hey, baby, this is some perfectly pristine, like music box grime. Good shit. Speaking of grime, let's talk about 1972's The Unholy Rollers. This is directed by Vernon Zimmerman. I don't know what, not much to say here. This is just, this is dope. This is just a classic roller girl movie. Just roller derby mania. Just fucking chicks beating the shit out of each other. All rebellion, all the time. If you're a fan of Penelope Spheris' general style, but you want less of the desolation and depression of the Reagan era. Here is the Unholy Rollers. Twelfth uh, film I want to recommend to you, Hideki Anno, The Final Challenge of Evangelion from 2021. This is a pretty underseen TV documentary that aired in Japan, but it aired in two parts together, basically a feature length. 
This is just a, a making of doc of how Hideki Anno made the final Evangelion movie. And it's like, I don't know, you're watching the, the creator of Evangelion make Evangelion. So, yeah, I, that's, that's the fucking pitch. All right, that's the pitch. 13th film I want to recommend is David uh, Osit's Mayor. Uh, listen, you want to see what's going on in Palestine? Uh, you want to see what Israel's fucking up? You want to see a little uh, religious differences between a Christian mayor and a generally Muslim populace? Here is uh, an essential documentary. Number 14, I want to recommend uh, David Ayer's Sabotage. This is the movie where he gave Arnold Schwarzenegger a Nazi haircut and then proceeded to make a a grimy crop, uh, crop, a grimy cop slasher thriller cartel drama action movie it's complete mess and it is completely feral this is one of the most aggressive violent hopeless movies to come out of the 2010s studio system of course it flopped but uh i think Ayer is doing some really provocative things with his cast with his story and just with the audacity to be this nasty uh this is this is you look, if you're looking for modern exploitation, this is it. 15, I want to go to a Jackie Chan that is incredibly popular in Hong Kong, uh, but gets very little play in the United States. I'm talking about Operation Condor from 1991. It's a sequel, technically, to Armor of God. Uh, you don't need to see Armor of God because I have not seen Armor of God, and I still loved Operation Condor. This is Jackie Chan doing Indiana Jones. I, I, sometimes to like a plagiaristic degree but for the most part this is just him doing douglas fairbanks it's tremendous adventure uh movie making i like it more than the project a's i it's probably like my second favorite next to the police story in terms of jackie chan franchise is uh 16 uh i want to recommend man of the west this is directed by anthony mann and it's from 1958 oh my god uh, this movie starts Gary Cooper as basically um, a guy, a, he's a fucking outlaw murderer who goes clean and then one day just finds himself, oh shit, my old friends found me. I'm about to be pulled right the fuck, right the buck back in, right the fuck back into the game. And uh, it is a lot more uh, cynical a lot more psychologically incisive and uh, just a lot more nihilistic than a film from 1958 would lead you to believe, especially a Western. Uh, If you're looking for a a Western that sort of pushes against the canon, this is the one that you're looking for. All right, 17. Paul Verhoeven, Flesh and Blood. This might just be because I'm excited for The Northman, but holy fuck. I mean, it's just, it's Paul Verhoeven doing a medieval times, just hash and slash and just fuck everyone up with swords. All right. Just everyone gets stabbed. Everyone gets annihilated. It's feudal. It's crusader shit. It's just, it's peak violence, peak uh, religious uh, hypocrisy, peak Verhoeven finally getting off the leash two years before he unleashes. Robocop. And of course, it stars uh, Rucker Hauer and I think also 
Jennifer Jason Lee? Yeah. It's I, Paul Verhoeven made a medieval times hard R like hack and slash movie. That is the pitch. Okay. Number 18, uh, The Nightingale by Jennifer Kent. This is the director of The Babadook. This was her follow up three, uh, four years later that no one watched. And uh, it was a shame. I think no one watched it because it's very graphic. This is where the trigger warning comes in. This is a movie that has like excruciating depictions of sexual assault. Uh, and that's not even speaking of the, just the violence of the movie uh, as a whole, just the, the blood and gore that you're used to in a, in a horror movie. That is already on a whole new level of, of disturbing. But tack it on to this, this English settler critique. I mean, it's not even a critique at this point. It's just a full-on evisceration of England. Uh, it's, this is a very tough movie to get through. But I think the rewards of it are, um, I, I think they're worth it. Very tough movie. It, it's basically, what if Wes Craven was also a master director of actors? And I think that's the one thing that always kept Wes Craven movies as being kind of fun. You know, I think everyone in a Wes Craven movie is you know, a little goofy, weird faces, sort of like young ingenues. The Nightingale is that same level of cruelty and nastiness, but also now every actor makes you believe that you're watching piss and blood and shit and breast milk and cum and it's, this is masterful stuff that has not gotten reappraised and maybe never will, but you owe it to yourself to check out for yourself whether or not you agree with, you know, if it should or if it shouldn't. Anyways, uh, I want to recommend to you also Shohei Imamura's 1966, The Pornographer. Shohei Imamura, one of the landmark directors of the Japanese New Wave, big fan of pigs and battleships. This film is, uh, I mean, it's just, it's ingeniously framed. It's just about a bunch of weirdo fucks. And the whole movie is shot as if we are peering through windows, through alleyways, through cracks and walls to look at them. It's voyeurism. As cinema, it's, uh, it's way more postmodern than most people who claim to be postmodern today uh, could even dare to be. Uh, speaking of doing more than anyone today could even dare to imagine, uh, <laughs> I want to recommend That's My Boy from 2012. This is the Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg comedy. It is disgusting. It is gross. It is offensive on all accounts. It celebrates statutory rape. Uh, it also just very casually has like graphic incest as like a key ha 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 laughing point. And um, it's a masterpiece. Uh, next one I want to recommend is, uh, what's his name? Is it Alexandre? Yeah, Alex, these fucking Europeans, man. Uh, Alexandre, aha, who made Crawl in 2019. This movie is the crocodiles and alligators, oh my, invading a house being flooded by hurricane waters. It's, it's such good trash, man. This is beautiful modern exploitation. It's so fun. It's so well made. And it's, it's just a production designer's dream. It's such an amazing technical achievement of a movie stuck in this fucking animal creature feature. I love this. 
one of the best films of 2019. If you don't agree with me, agree with Quentin Tarantino. 22, Kala from 2018, directed by Paul Ranjith. I know a lot of people were going crazy about RRR. I have yet to see it, uh, mostly because I wasn't a big fan of Bahubali. Uh, the films didn't really do much for me. But what really did something for me was Kala, which if it seems like RRR is a very, it has a lot of revolutionary themes. Kala is firmly a revolutionary film. It is like anti-Modi, anti-conservatism. It is just pure, give the power back to the people. And if you don't do it, then the people are just going to do it through Facebook. We're going to fuck you up. This is uh, some rousing populist filmmaking. This is really good shit. If, if you're looking for more Indian cinema, which seems to have a really interesting uh, rhetoric behind it of, of being both known and for its Bollywood high stakes, please everyone antics, but also having like a really strong uh, political bite to it. Uh, I need to really get into this some more because, you know, Satyajit Ray was, of course, not Bollywood, but it seems like every Indian film I've ever seen even the fucking Bollywoods are, are they, they read like fucking Marxist texts <laughs> um, with dance numbers. So uh, that's something that all of us have to explore more. Okay, what do we got? 23, Sanatin, directed by Beat Takeshi Kitano. I mean, it's, it's, it's just depression as a movie, which isn't a great pitch, but it's, um, maybe the best Yakuza movie ever made. It's just this beautiful mix of the desolation of, of choosing a life of violence with the kind of glee that comes with the freedom of choosing a life of violence. It rides a really murky ethical line, which I think most great movies should. 24th movie I, I want to recommend to you if you think you've seen all the fucked up movies out there, if you're like, okay, I've seen my slashers, I've seen the horror movies that are fucked up, I think I'm good, I think I can handle everything else, let, let's put The New York Ripper by Lucio Fulci into your rotation and see how much you regret acting that cocky, okay? This is probably the most fucked up horror movie of the 80s. Uh, it's Fulci going full blast on the internalized misogyny of modern culture, of the expressed misogyny of modern culture, and of the cyclical nature of both in modern culture. Uh, it's nasty, it's gross, it's bloody, it's got some good 70s New York grime to it. It's, uh, it's the New York Ripper, baby. Uh, 25, Soul Power from 2008. This is... Uh, I believe, maybe his name's Len Weiss? I'm not going to guess the name. Basically, that uh, documentary from like 2000, When We Were Kings, it's like the Muhammad Ali documentary when they were doing Rumble in the Jungle. There's a lot of footage of James Brown and like a bunch of different musicians that they also brought in for that event. Well, that was supposed to be a, different, uh, a completely separate movie. And it turns out that that footage was found. It was edited together. And <laughs> as is the case with most black cultural events of the 20, uh, 20th century. Uh, the footage, the, the, the archival footage of this event was just stuffed in a fucking drawer and no one touched it and no one cared to fund to touch it or edit it or put it together or assemble it. I, it's, but look, it, a lot to be mad about, but 
we can at least be happy. Now we have an edited together documentary of fucking James Brown. Just and 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 uh, Celia Cruz just fucking shit up in like 19 in the early 70s, okay? This is great. I'm running out of steam. 26 film I want to recommend to you. Directed by Mike Gray and Howard Auk. It's American Revolution 2. Listen, baby. I know we all want to be the next Steven Spielberg. We all want to be a Kubrick. We all want to be Greta Gerwig. But if we're really feasibly looking at the future of what cinema can be, of what cinema maybe has to be, the more and more it is firmly corporatized, the more it is completely consumed by the digital era, the streamer era, the more it becomes an honest-to-God commodity in the information wars, the more and more the impetus lies on us to throw a wrench into it. And I don't know if the wrench will ever actually land in the gears but grassroots documentaries like American Revolution 2 are maybe a good blueprint to work off of. Great shit. Okay, that's 26 movies. Crazy, man. Just crazy. Uh, maybe you should watch them. That's my recommendation. We'll be back with Ivers of the Big Boys. Regular programming. Soon. Probably. <laughs> I just- Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> this is the last episode of I vs. the Big Boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the rambling. Uh, thank you for uh, the happy birthday messages that I have received today. It's very kind of you. Very sweetie pie of you. I'm going to go eat some sushi and watch Kiari Pamu Pamu. Is, have I been saying her name right? Kiari Pamu Okay, good. Okay. I'm I had a, a worry that I fucked that up. So I'm gonna go have a nice night. And uh I'm gonna just keep doing my shit. Are you gonna do your shit? I highly recommend you do. I really should never single host any of these ever again. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast. And uh I don't know, go fuck yourself. Don't be mad, don't be mad at me, no, 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 I miss what you were saying, I was miles away, don't be mad, don't be mad, never got a choice, I was busy thinking about boys, 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 I was busy dreaming about boys, 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 I was busy thinking about boys, boys, Bye!